Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development with the people that make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring. Know when errors hit your website with the context to find and fix bugs fast with TrackJS. Start your free trial today at trackjs.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development and the people that make it happen. I'm Todd Gardner from TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring, and my co-host, David Walsh, creator of the popular blog, the super popular blog, the 72,000 follower popular blog, davidwalsh.name. How's it going, David? Good. That's Twitter followers, by the way. Oh, Uh, there's way more blog followers then, right? Yes, there are. Uh, Not to be... You push me in the spot to be arrogant at the start of the show. <laughs> I usually save my arrogance for Twitter, um, but I haven't seen your arrogance on Twitter lately. What's going on? No, I, I, I've been keeping my arrogance locked up. Uh, Twitter has been bumming me out lately. I find that like I'll look at it, and every day I find somebody who's just making me angry. Like It could be in the political sphere. It could be in the development sphere. It could be like anywhere. Just people like saying things and I want to like say something about it or I want to say something snarky about it and it's making me unhappy. So I feel like I just need to take a little break. You know, I I feel like there's there's this Twitter hate machine that exists of people throw out, you know, an unpopular idea that's not all that unpopular. And then they're just looking for hate. For drama? Yeah, it's just looking for drama. I've wanted to do the same thing, but there's a couple problems. One, I can't get off of Facebook because the family needs to see the kids 24-7. I don't want to leave Twitter because it's such an instant bit of information. And overall, I sort of feel like if I let people on there get to me, they've won. And I know it's a pointless battle, but I want to be able to... Like, if I leave Twitter, I can't share articles. I can't get feedback. I, I'm just missing out, man. I'm missing out, and I'm too afraid to make the the jump. Well, so so here's a compromise. What if you continue spewing into Twitter, spew your venom into Twitter, but don't take anybody else's venom? Like, don't read it. Like, you just don't respond to it. You don't look at notifications. A Twitter client that is just a... Submit your tweet with no visible. You can't see a timeline. You can't see replies. You can't get anything else. It's direct messages and spew. And that's I don't the know. I don't know that my ego could take not seeing all the likes flowing in. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a different kind of problem. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, today on the show we also have a guest. Miss um, Maggie Pint is joining us from Azure Open Engineering. Uh, I met Maggie a couple of years ago when she used to live in Minnesota, where she talked all about uh, her story of maintaining the Moment.js JavaScript library that helps make dates not suck so bad. Um, Welcome on the show. Hi, Todd. It's it's good to talk to a fellow Minnesotan. I don't talk to them as often out here in Seattle. There's probably not as many of us out in Seattle. So actually... um, on TC39, my one of my fellow delegates from Microsoft, Brian Turleson, is a Minnesotan. Um, Brian Turleson. I know that name. Uh, he's been a delegate. He was the editor of the ECMAScript standard for a long time. He's pulling back from that role, but he's been a TC39 delegate forever, but he's from Wyzetta. And then Dan Ehrenberg. Oh, Wyzetta. Yeah. And then Dan Ehrenberg, um, uh, also from TC39, formerly with Google, now with Agalia. Uh, he uh, he went to Carleton, so he also like feels Minnesotan. Ah, oh. that's fancy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know where we're to go from that. Um, so ha- here's how we start the show: is we want to know a little bit about you. Um, tell us, you know, anything else about about your title and and where you are right now, and then your origin story. How did you get into this? Um, how did you get into this world, to this role, to this this crazy software world that we live in? Okay. So first of all, I, I work in Azure, and I specifically work in the production infrastructure engineering organization, which is the organization that has stuff like monitoring systems and the build system uh, and, and our incident ticketing system and outage detection uh, AI and stuff like that. Uh, but I work in this very interesting space, which we call open engineering. Um, so I have a small team, and what we specifically work on is bringing 
the culture of the open source community into Azure's engineering practices. So we do a lot of uh, training work around teaching teams about how open source teams actually create and develop code with so many contributors and how they can bring that to their work within Azure where we're up to like tons of engineers and it almost starts to feel like a big critical mass open source community. And, and then how, how do open source developers do that with so many engineers? Like what is the lesson that you're trying to bring in? Ultimately, it comes down to set up a good process. Set up a good process, set up clear documentation, and have a governance model for your project. Uh, have a governance model that's open to external ideas and external contributors. Um, and, and to support some of that stuff, we also are working on some tooling. So tooling around making sure that people have readme files in place, making sure that people have contributing files in place, source code discoverability. We have a lot of source code at Microsoft. Uh, so just working on making sure that people can find what they're looking for. If they wanted to contribute to a team that they'd never met or see how their code works, how do they get there? Um, so we work on a lot of stuff like that. It's very meta. Uh, I can definitely say like from where I came from in Minnesota, uh, where I made uh, HR software, the idea that I would be working on this like meta thing about setup projects like open source projects inside Azure and, and teach people how the open source community governs itself. Uh, that's that's a long way <laughs> from where I came from, um, but uh, that actually makes a lot of sense in alignment with you know Microsoft buying GitHub, which we did a show on not that long ago. <laughs> so if they're trying to like use the open source philosophy internally, like owning the open source platform, it's kind of makes makes some sense. Makes yeah. some sense. Yeah, well, the, the using the open source philosophy in, internally is very much a, a sort of, um, it, it came out of a very much a passion project between me and Todd Curtis, who's our corporate vice president over here in Pi. And he had joined us from Google. And, and, and Google is known for having this like one source code repository and this very strong culture of like, every time you upgrade a dependency, you upgrade it for all of Google and things like that. And 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 we don't have that here at Microsoft where we've got code all over the place in different repositories and teams have different processes. And Todd was like, Maggie, let's, let's make them do it like the open source community. Uh, and, and that's how I got started on this um, about uh, a year ago. Um, before that, uh, before that, uh, I, Todd just inherited me before that I was working in the uh, post-mortem team for Azure. And uh, he inherited me when he came over from Google and he heard me talking about all this open source stuff that I loved and was like, let's have people do it. <laughs> Um, so it, it's been an interesting adventure. I guess you asked for an origin story, so I should probably like roll further back, shouldn't I? Like, yeah. So how did how did you get started? What what spurred this passion to get involved in uh, in software and the web and any of this? So I would say, as far as getting involved in software, um, that was just an accident. Um, so I, for a long time, was a math education major. And for various reasons, I just decided that honestly, I probably couldn't take the stress of being a teacher in the public schools. Uh, Middle you see a school lot of, students are awful. You know, not in that sense. I think more in the sense that as I was getting in classrooms and doing some of the student teaching stuff, I was seeing that, um, God, you get a lot of kids with a lot of problems that you can't do much about, that you can't help. And I was like, I'm gonna overstress on this. I need to do something else. And I made that decision like three years into college. So at that point, unless I wanted to be in college for like all eternity, what I was gonna get was an applied math degree because I was in a math education track. And and what do you do with an applied math degree? You like graduate, you're like, okay, I have an applied math degree. Someone must want this. And <laughs> the place that's I most likely- I can division really, really fast. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> Uh, but no, I ended up uh, I ended up getting a job as a data analyst for a marketing company, and then sort of swinging that into working in software. Um, so there was no like me waking up as a child being like, "Oh my god, I'm going to work on the computers." Uh, it was actually just I needed a job, and I had a math degree, and who might hire someone with a math degree to do something? Uh, and and I actually started my career in SQL. Like for the first three years, I was doing like database administration, perf tuning, um, ETL, uh, and cursing and one day, at developers for not reviewing their um, uh, 
data access layer generated statements, their ORM tools would spit out garbage and you'd yell at them like, dang you and hibernate. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I'm 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 still to this day like really really good at the extended events tool in SQL Server, um, <laughs> to debug <laughs> perf issues. Like like I'm I'm still good at it. I still enjoy it. Like sometimes I'm I'm running around Azure and I'm like, does anybody have a bad performing SQL Server? Like I'll do it. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> That's not a very common thing to get excited about. <laughs> it is for me. <laughs> is for me. I have a colleague down the hall, Vince, who's a data scientist here, and he loves it too. Uh, we both totally geek out over it. Like, how do we make the SQL Server spin faster? <laughs> I'm going to send you the David Walsh blog database to spruce up my MySQL setting sure. and everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, in my opinion, uh, database work, uh, administration work, SQL work, that's actually a pretty like under-respected in the oh, tech industry sure. area. <laughs> um, uh, but but no, I ended up working for this company in Minnesota called TempWorks that made HR software. Uh, and, and for a while, like I said, I was their SQL person. I did a lot of reporting in ETL. And uh, one day I sort of woke up and was like, I want to be a web developer. Uh, I think it was just, I could kind of see that the industry The web was, developer fairy had visited you and sprinkled your pillow with yeah. JavaScript dust and you woke up the next day and yeah. it happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the next step in the career path if I had stayed in that SQL and data space would really be um, data science and and I was more attracted to to development. And, and so I said, hey, can I be a web developer? And they liked me. So they were like, um, Sure, Maggie, you can be a web developer. Currently, you manage our data team. The manager of the web development team quit. You're the manager of the web development team, uh, which was very odd because I didn't just become a web developer. I became the manager of a team of web developers like overnight. Um, and Starting at the top. <laughs> uh, you know, thankfully, that was a, Tempers is a small company, and I, I knew all of those developers. Like I had worked with them day in and day out, and they just just to help me like like they just said okay let's help maggie get this web development thing down um you know uh, uh, it, it was they were great you know what's more difficult managing children or managing web developers children oh i have children no web developers are much easier than children <laughs> you should see some of the teams i've been on anyways <laughs> Uh, but, I think but, there's a there's a range, David. Right? Some web developers are easier than children, and some children are easier. Than, it's where's the range extend okay. to? There's I some very it. there's some very easy children, and there's some very difficult web developers. <laughs> I think what you really want to try managing is child web developers. Oh boy. Yeah. Actually, uh, that'd probably be easier. Less opinionated. <laughs> I mean, but, really less opinionated. My stepson, who's 10, can write a little bit of code. Like, maybe I should try to manage him into a project and see how it goes. I like where this is going. Yeah, I'll, I'll try it out on him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so after all of that, you ended up at Microsoft. How did you get from Minnesota to Seattle? So um, I think a lot of that comes down to open source. Um, I was working at this this TempWorks, which is actually a really great company to work for in, in Minnesota. But I started being like, well, how can I go bigger, right? Like, how can I do bigger things than, than make staffing software? And uh, I was out. Well, the first thing I started doing is I started speaking at local conferences. Like, I spoke at the Twin Cities.net user group and, um, and, and, you know, stuff like that. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll go to a bigger conference. So I took myself out to CodeMash in Ohio. Who's been to CodeMash? One of the best conferences of the year, right? Uh, I, I took myself out to Comash in Ohio, and at the time I was actually giving a talk on um, document databases. And I met um, Matt Johnson, who is a fellow Moment maintainer, also a maintainer of Node Time, the uh, the .NET library for date and time, and and maybe fairly well known for answering date time questions on Stack Overflow. Uh, and he was like Maggie. You sound like you're bored. Why don't you just work on Moment? We need help. And I was like, 
okay, we could do that. Like, you know, like, okay, sure, why not try it? Uh, and that's how I ended up with the Moment team. Like, I went home from CodeMash, and I just started working on Moment. Like, hey, this seems like a high-impact project. It certainly has a lot of users. I've used it myself. Practically everyone uses it. Uh, and I ended up working on Moment and getting really just in love with the JavaScript community um, and, and, and really kind of letting that carry me. Uh, and, and so at a certain point, that whole thing about like, how can I go bigger? How can I have a bigger impact than I have today? Um, really led me back to, well, um, Microsoft is a company that truly has global presence. You know, we empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more according to our, our little company mission statements. <laughs> and, and they've been doing good work in open source. Like they've had this great open source evolution. And and Matt, who I previously mentioned, uh, was already with Microsoft. So I had someone to refer me in, which kind of matters at these uh, at these large companies. <laughs> and 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 Matt referred me in and I I came out here to Seattle. Um, and, and I've been out here, I, I started actually in our open source programs office, uh, which is an office that deals a lot with, um, policy, um, processes around open source, open source IP. Um, and, and it's, it was an interesting experience, but I was sort of like, I want to go on the engineering teams. Like, I don't want to be in a policy line. I want to go on the engineering teams. And I ended up over in Azure, um, and uh, and and Azure's been really fun, and uh, you know, being in this sort of operational side of Azure has been—it's really exciting. Like we're fast-paced over here; we got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, anytime you're dealing with ops, and um, it's been a really fantastic experience. I don't know what else to say. So I have a question for you. You mm -hmm. say Azure, like I say Azure. Is that a Minnesota thing? Because a lot of people in Microsoft will say Azure. Most of us say Azure. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I I, I, I I think you're making it up, Todd, because I've never I swear to God, that. like like uh oh I I can't I can't pull out a name right now, but so many people when I'm traveling will say, Oh yeah, we're using Microsoft Azure. And I'm like, wait what? Oh, you mean Azure. And, and they look at me like I'm the, you know. I think you are the crazy one here. But maybe right. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned Moment JS, mm -hmm. um, and you had mentioned that you know you were sort of a user of it. What was it like joining that team? Um, it was terrifying. Like I, I remember <laughs> when I made my first pull request on Moment that that one has it in one's head that the people who work on that library are clearly superior to you because they made something so cool. And so I remember my first pull request was um, it was a weird thing. Uh, they had marked up up for grabs. So if you aren't familiar, up for grabs is just the indicator that anybody can work on this work item. They had marked up for grabs the idea that you would parse just a time. So like not a date and a time, but just a time and have that kick out a moment object. And um, you think, okay, that can't be that hard. Just like rerun it through the parse or, you know, do some sort of loop around to discard some some initial input or something like that. And uh, so I said, okay, I've got this. You know, you say that on the for grabs, I've got this. And I started looking through the code and I'm digging and digging and digging through the code. And um, I, I, I start going through the code pass and looking at the way that I would have to tear that parser apart to make this happen. And I'm like, there's no reasonable way to do this. I would bust <laughs> everything in the world. There's no reasonable way to do it. I would just parse time on this. And then of course you're like, I must be ignorant. I didn't write this code. I'm stupid and the people who maintain it are clearly smart. And so it, it was weird because I had this odd sense of obligation. Like, well, I said I would do this. So I should tell them that I can't. Um, and I made this pull request with like the half written code and this explanation of like, well, if you try this, um, this happens if you try this, this happens if you try this, this happens. And like the whole time my hands were like shaking. I could see my hands shake. I was laying in bed watching my hands shake out of fear that they were just gonna tell me clearly you're an idiot and there's just a boy to do this. Um, and, and, and then while I was waiting, I had like dug so deep into a few code paths in moment, like really thinking this through that there were a few things, other things that I was looking at that I'm like, no, this is clearly like, this is a bug, like I can see I'm reading the code and, and the logic doesn't work. And I filed a few bugs that were really obscure, um, but but 
but we're clearly bugs. And and it was like a couple days later, because you know open source maintainers have like a latency. We we aren't on top of everything every minute. Uh, when they came back, we're like, wow, this is all very correct. We cannot parse the time. Uh, these are fascinating finds <laughs> in the code base on the bugs. Uh, basically, they were just like, so so would you like to help us maintain this library? And that's that's when you realize that open source maintainers are not actually like 10x developer superhumans. They're actually very overstressed people. And if you've shown a considerable interest in their library, they would love for you to join them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and that's that's how I ended up there. And and it's interesting because Moment has opened a lot of doors. Like so many people know Moment that it it, it opens really incredible doors to just conversations. And ideas, and and you know, ultimately, that's how I ended up with the JavaScript Standards Committee, uh, evolving the programming language. Is uh, I, I got out here to Microsoft, and 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 Matt and I started asking after like, well, Moment is really just this band aid for the fact that date is terrible. <laughs> um, who cares about this? Like we make a browser here at Microsoft, someone has to care about this, and and we found um, we found Brian Turlson, uh, who's with the TypeScript team and is a longtime delegate to TC39. And Brian was like, "Yeah, this is a known huge problem. The committee talks about it all the time. Um, nobody has the subject matter expertise in date time and programming on the committee." to do this. And uh and and so Brian was like, I mean, if you want to fix it, you're you're going to do it. Like moment had to come and fix this. Right. We were not prepared to fix it. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> so like <laughs> you mentioned that you can't parse time for example, and dates are hard in any language, right? It's not yep. just specific to JavaScript. But what were some of the shortcomings, I guess, when you started and then now? What what are some of the notable um, pain points of dates in JavaScript? So like the date object itself or of the moment library or... Okay. Any of it. Throw it out there. Okay. So when we look at the date object itself, we've got a, a few really awful things. I, I think probably... <laughs> The most awful thing is um, that the parse, like, like, so when you pass a string into date in JavaScript, the parsing rules are super obtuse. Um, if it's not an ISO 8601 string, you know, ISO 8601 is our favorite daytime format. If it's not an ISO 8601 string, then the way that it will be parsed is left up to the browser implementer, which means that it's inconsistent across browsers. Uh, there, there has been effort by the browser implementers to try to get that to be consistent, but, but it's not there. Also, because you can't specify a parse format, um, like is, is 4.3, is it April 3rd, or is it March 4th? Totally depends on locale you're in. Right. Um, so you, you can't do consistency like that. And then even if you are parsing an ISO string, the rules are super obscure. Um, the ISO standard says that uh, when you don't have an offset on a date time string, right? So when 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 you just have the the, the you know 1900 127 time, that that should be considered local time, time time local to the user's machine. Uh, but the standard originally back in like the ES5 days considered it UTC. So it was like inverse of the ISO standard. The JavaScript standard was inverse of the ISO standard. Um, and then in ES6, they like tried to correct it, but then a whole bunch of stuff broke. And then they ended up with this weird like halfway thing where it's like, well, if it's just a date without a time, then assume it's UTC. But if it's a date with a time, assume it's local. But if it's a date with a time with an offset, then use the offset. Like the standard just spirals out into madness. So you cannot reliably, I'm sorry, that was like deep detail. Like that was some no, that's detail perfect. on that. That's <laughs> uh, you, you can't. It's deep detail, but like as soon as you do anything beyond like the most <laughs> trivial thing with date, quickly you're going to have to like deal with that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and and so so like it's super broken. Like there's just frankly no way to parse a date and have it come out to be what you want it to be. And you have to memorize all these weird edge cases. Um, so there's that. And then um, other big problems, mutability. The date object and moment.js library both are mutable. 
Um, and that, that just causes people a lot of bugs. Uh, nobody expects data objects to mutate. That's weird. Um, and then the other big, huge thing that has a massive Im implication towards web performance is that um, the time zone support in the date object is only the user's local time. Like if you're in a browser, like right now I'm in Pacific time, so it would support Pacific and UTC. So if I wanted to use JavaScript in the browser to compute the time in Minnesota right now, I'm out of luck. Um, and that's a huge problem because what it means is that anybody who needs to support that kind of functionality is gonna end up having to take all of the data for all of the time zones they need to support, bundle it and load it up to the browser. That's what moment time zone library does. Um, it's huge. It's a, it's a huge, and it's a major impediment for for a lot of organizations to be bundling up uh, that much code. I mean, it's just it's <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and so, you know, the problem that you get with JavaScript as a language is that there's no way to, for lack of a better way to put it, there's no good way to like rev a major. Like you can't say this is the breaking change release to JavaScript because um, even though you can roll that out to the browser, the code that the browser is rendering could have been written 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago. And one thing that, that TC39 is very focused on is that we don't want to break the web. We say it all the time, like don't break the web, don't break the web. And um, I think we frequently get in like arguments with a lot of developers who are like, screw this legacy stuff. Why don't you just break it? Like, why are you holding to that ideology? But the user of the web is not developers. The user of the web are people going to websites. And, and we try to keep a really like strong moral compass set there. And from that moral compass, um, no, I, I, I can't just break code for no reason that was written 10 years ago. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not fair to the small businesses who maybe can't afford to rewrite it. It's not fair, you know. It, so uh, under that logic, what ended up happening is that instead of trying to fix the existing date code, because it's all over the place, um, we actually introduced a new proposal to basically replace all of the date time APIs in JavaScript um, with a new standard library. Uh, and we call that standard library temporal. Uh, and, and the only reason we call it temporal is because it's it's um, kind of funny and, <laughs> and a bit of an obscure uh, word. Uh, and the reason that we pick an obscure word is that if we have to introduce a new global in JavaScript, uh, better to use a word that hasn't been often used in code before. Uh, again, for breaking change purpose. <laughs> Um, but the temporal proposal proposes an entire new, entirely new set of daytime APIs that are similar to um, what you might get in Java um, with the with the rework. If anybody's familiar with the JSR three ten Jota time rework of of daytime in Java, um, it, it kind of goes after that pattern. Interesting. So, so Jota time is getting copied into JavaScript as temporal is basically the standard. It's not a direct copy. So, so one thing I'll definitely say about JavaScript developers is that if you were to bring to the table all of the Jota time uh, date objects, uh, there are like ten JavaScript developers would be like, "We don't want this. We like simplicity. We are a simple people." <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, there's a little bit of a pair down, but ultimately um, it introduces five new date object representations. Um, and I can differentiate between these as instant representations and what we're now calling civil representations, but what we might change to simple because naming is hard. But anyways, instant representations. So when you have a date, um, it may or may not have a relationship to UTC or the global timeline. Sometimes like your birthday, it doesn't have any relationship to UTC, right? Like, like it's just a date on the calendar. Uh, but sometimes you have like log data, which is an exact point in time in UTC. And 
that differentiation is the cause of a lot of bugs in code when people don't think through does this have a relationship to the global timeline is it convertible to utc is it convertible back into a time zone or is it actually just a, a local uh to any given place sort of you know calendar date and time without a relationship to that timeline so the instant types which we call instant and zoned instant uh, instant is just the point in, in on the global timeline, so the point in UTC, um, and it doesn't imply relationship to any time zone. And then we introduce another type called zoned instant. And if you knew that you had a piece of data that was at this exact point in UTC, also in the America Chicago time zone where you guys are sitting, then you would create a zone date time object. Does that kind of make sense? So like. Mm -hmm. I have this exact point in time in this time zone, um, or I have just an exact point in time in UTC. So exact point in time UTC is instant, exact point in time in this time zone is zoned instant. And those are the instant types. Then on the flip side, we have civil date, civil time, and civil date time. And that's basically, I have just a date. I don't know where in the world it is or what its relationship to the global timeline is. I have just a time, don't know where, don't know the relationship, or I have just a date and time don't know where, don't know the relationship. But the nice part about differentiating these things is that um, we don't provide a way to, for instance, convert a civil date time, which doesn't have any known relationship to the global timeline to an instant, because you don't have the right information. And it pushes the user to create clarity in their code about, for this piece of data that I've maybe transferred across the wire in JSON, um, what do I understand about it and what don't I? Um, and that actually causes developers uh, to have to really think through their data sources because it forces them to convert a little bit between types to get certain behaviors. And, and it forces them to think clearly about time as a problem domain. Holy cow. I never knew days got so... I'm sorry. <laughs> I try really hard. This is perfect. This is perfect because... Um, you know, it like, looks terrifying. <laughs> no, it is terrifying. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's always been a major pain, right? But I didn't realize that they could become that painful. So I don't know whether I should be thankful that I haven't run into those issues or if I've introduced a billion bugs somewhere and don't know about it. I, I've never thought of the, the concept of, of the civil date time as you, as you titled it. Yep. But it made perfect sense as soon as you had it. Because, like, like, I have people's birthdays in my calendar. And... When I'm traveling and all of a sudden my calendar shifts to a different time zone, like all the birthdays become of this two day right. range. And I right. was like, oh, because it's probably tagging them by like, you know, midnight to midnight in my time zone. And then when that shifted, now it's over two days. So like, I, I get it. Like that is a problem, like applying to calendaring and birthdays and stuff like that. Like yep. if I set an all day event in my calendar and then I change time zones, well, that's probably a civil date, right? It's yeah. probably on, you know, the yeah. 30th of June, regardless exactly. of where in the world I am. Exactly. Exactly. A, a, a civil date and civil time is really common as well. Like, I have a meeting at 11 o'clock. Um, 11 o'clock where? Or is it just for your own personal notes that it's at 11 o'clock? Uh, that kind of thing. So, so civil time is really common as well. Civil time representations. Um, so let's let's back up for a second into into MomentJS because um, not everybody uh, is going to be aware of it. Some people are still suffering through you know JavaScript new date. So like, what what is that that core thing that Moment does for us, and and why should just about everybody probably be using it in JavaScript? So uh, look at me as a maintainer of the library. Uh, say this. Uh, I would actually encourage you to look at Luxon, which is a library. Oh. That, yeah, uh, which is a library that the Moment team shipped uh, that repairs a lot of mistakes that we know that we made in Moment. Um, it only works in evergreen browsers, oh. uh, but <laughs> isn't that terrifying? Uh, but it's significantly smaller in size. It provides better time zone support. It has immutable objects. Um, so it, it it cleans up some rough edges on the Moment library. And I would say at this point, for the amount of time that Isaac from the Moment team has put into making Luxon everything we ever wished Moment would be, uh, I would have a good hard look at that library if you don't need IE support. Um, 
but nevertheless she says working at microsoft <laughs> well i mean we would love you to use the edge browser <laughs> <laughs> we would be delighted if you would stop using ie and use the edge browser that would make us incredibly happy uh, we understand that that for some line of business applications, that's not a viable thing right now. Um, but uh, all right. So case, then, in general, between Moment and now Lexon, what is uh, what is the pitch? Why why should developers be looking at these sort of tools instead of saying, ah, you know what, I'll just work around the bugs and date myself. I don't I don't need to worry about that. So first of all, consistent parsing support for dates. Like you cannot work around the bugs and date parsing. I'm sorry, like I, I can enumerate all of the edge cases that are problematic with it, but you can't work around it and you have to use a library or your code is inevitably broken. <laughs> uh, so so a big reason to go for Luxon or for Moment is um, is definitely uh, date, uh, date parsing. Um, Luxon also is immutable. So Moment is mutable like uh, like the date object, and that causes a lot of little programmer errors where you uh, you know add three days to a date, and then it turns out you mutated the original date. You didn't get a new one. Uh, Luxon is immutable, so when you do any kind of add 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 or diff operation or add or subtractor or set operation, you're going to get a new Luxon object back, which is going to prevent a lot of programming bugs. Um, Another thing about Luxon is that uh, unlike in, in moments, um, the whole thing I was talking about, about do you have a date in the local time zone? Do you have a date in UTC? Uh, Luxon's API will force you to choose um, and, and actually push you into thinking about what is this representation and what does it mean? A lot of people, Moment defaults to assuming the user's local time zone, and that's what the date object does as well. And a lot of people parse UTC dates into that and then move a few things around and get really confused why they're seeing the wrong date. Um, but if we force you to think about like what time zone is this data and how do you want it to appear, um, cleans a lot of that up. So you rolled out Luxon uh, mm -hmm. to, to kind of polish up the internals of the library. And it's smaller, it has you know, smaller browser support, fewer edge cases to handle all those great things. Why a separate library? Why isn't this just why isn't why does Luxon exist and moment isn't just at 3.x? So a lot of that has to do with uh, Moment has got a lot of users. And 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 when I say a lot, what I actually mean is in the millions and, and an indeterminate number. Like so many users that we couldn't possibly contact them all. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they use it in. And um, what we've kind of seen with Moment is that like change anything, like fix an obvious bug. And someone is like, no, I had a complete system reliance on that obvious bug existing and behaving in exactly that way. And to really kind of clean up the things that we thought were worth cleaning up, um, we ended up, sure, we could have called it moment three. Um, and all of our users would have been like, this is nothing like moment. And now I have to change this and I have to change this and I have to change this and I hate you. Uh, so basically it, what happened to Angular? Yeah. Yeah, we would be pulling an Angular. We we would be pulling, we would be pulling that, and 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 that didn't seem fair or right. It's not that we couldn't have done it. Uh, there is a migration guide uh, for for Moment to Luxon. It's not that we couldn't have done this, but at the end of the day, I think you know there's this element of just being honest with your users of what you've done. You've done a total rewrite of the code base. You have cleaned up everything that truly needed to be cleaned up. Uh, that is um, I don't know, in some ways, I feel like as open source maintainers, we should be at liberty to do that. Like we shouldn't be beholden to the library that has always been there. We should be comfortable with evolving the tech. Um, and and it just it made more sense to to call it something new. And actually, the history of Lexon is interesting. We were all like, being the moment maintainers and like drowning under thousands of GitHub issues. And one day Isaac pops up in, in our Slack channel and he's like, guys, look at this thing I did. And he's got this like half of what Luxon eventually became. And it's like this really nice little library. We're all looking at it, we're like, hey, it's, it's kind of like moment, but it's kind of not. Hey, you cleaned up that mutability thing. Hey, 
that's really cool what you did with the time zone support there. And we're all like geeking out over it. And, and so it really came out of just like Isaac's head one day while he was like at home with the baby. Uh, he, he kicked out a new date time library and, and, and brought it to us. And, and we all sort of started geeking out and saying, well, what if we made it this way? What if we made it this way? And he really carried it into fruition. So it was never intended to be a moment V-next. It was really just Isaac's like, well, if I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, uh, you know, here's what I would do. And, and we adopted it more than anything. We adopted it and we said, you know, uh, you know, we'll sort of give that our blessing going forward. Awesome. So is that, is that the, the official line? If, if I land on, um, to download moment JS, does it say, Hey, wait, you should go check out this Luxor thing, Luxon thing. Um, the website right now, it, it, it Luxon is totally a link on momentjs.com. We haven't quite said you should go over and use Luxon now, but I think we probably should. <laughs> I think we're pretty much at that point. Um, the Luxon documentation is really good too. Yeah, I'm gonna go check this out. Okay, well, I'm glad I could introduce the world to a new JavaScript library today. Yes. Um. <laughs> so let's let's talk then about um, about the new JavaScript time library, Temporal, right? Yep. Are both Moment and Luxon not long for this world? Are are we are we just going to solve this in the standard library in the hopefully not too distant future? So, you know, standards processes are not fast. Um, I would say that TC39 manages to move at a pretty decent pace. Uh, lately, we get a lot of people saying, hey, you move too fast. <laughs> like, like, slow down. What's with all this stuff? Um, so I presented just um, uh, last week, I, I presented at TC39, um, this proposal and we got the feedback that we needed to advance it to stage two so in september it'll probably advance to stage two out of the four stage process i can go deep on that if you want but um you know a lot of it depends on how much work i'm able to put behind it um uh, thankfully at this point because i work in the open engineering team uh they let me get away a little bit with like my team helping me on some of these things uh to to advance the state of software which is awesome uh, so is, uh, whatever work my team can can put behind it with the rest of the stuff that we've been doing is kind of determines how quickly it goes. But I'm hoping we can go pretty quickly from here. Uh, the biggest outstanding question about Temporal is whether it will be a new global, like new date, or whether it will be part of a new JavaScript standard library, like a built-in module kind of thing. You know, we have ECMAScript modules, do some sort of built-in where it's like import std colon temporal. And so uh, I, I think, generally speaking, my gut feeling is it's going to end up part of a new standard library, but it aligns with this broader desire to look at what is the JavaScript standard library? How do we bring in more robust standard library support? Um, and so there's certain factors in the committee that I can't control. Probably I can't land this proposal until we land a good understanding of what standard library is going to be, and they're going to have to land together. So, so as, a, as a TC39 member, and I might be getting a little bit off topic, but I'm going for it. Um, are there like subcommittees that you meet with or is there like a round circle of brains? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, that's actually something that we're revising and revamping within TC39. Um, for a long time, TC39 was just like one committee and um TC39 membership over the last couple of years has grown drastically. Like four years ago, four or five years ago, it was like 10 people. And now we're up to about 50 people per meeting, uh, which is really great. It means that a lot of the industry is coming to the table and having a say about how our programming language evolves. And I think everyone is pleased as punch about that. I should call out with Temporal that a lot of the work on Temporal has been done with industry partners at Bloomberg. Um, Bloomberg has kicked in a whole bunch of work on, on spec text and on defining things. Uh, so it could be considered a joint effort between Bloomberg and Microsoft and JS Foundation, who actually sponsored me to be at TC39. Um, but as far as subcommittees, we've started doing like little sub working groups that have side calls to move proposals along. So date and time is actually a full sub working group that has not just the temporal proposal, but also the internationalization APIs. Some of the work on those is coming into the date time space. Uh, so we have that as part of the sub working group. We have some efforts to clean up the parser on the old date object, just 
for like the sake of sanity that are in that little date working group. Um, so we're starting to subcommittee, but all proposals are, are, are presented at top level committee right now. Anyways, uh, the subcommittees are more for discussion and work, working group kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Todd, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Well, so I was going to ask, so you said there's like 50 people on the TC who show up for the TC 39 meetings, but the membership has to be larger than that at this point, right? So to be clear, um, membership to TC 39 is actually membership to ECMA, which is the standards body that governs the JavaScript programming language. And membership to ECMA is organizational, not individual. So Microsoft belongs to ECMA, Google belongs to ECMA, Apple belongs to ECMA. It's not an individual thing. Uh, organizations, other organizations belong to ECMA. A lot of academic institutions, the JS Foundation that I mentioned, that's the foundation that Moment sits under. They are a member of ECMA and they sponsor some of my work and travel and things like that. So, you know, actually, by the way, shout out to the JS Foundation for that because it's awesome. Um, Heck yeah, they support lots of open source projects that you use and love today. Yes, amen. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so membership is, is on a company basis and then companies send delegates to go and represent them. Uh, Do and they the get different, like, different amounts of delegates based on like financial contribution or is it like one company, one vote? It, it's, it's, so first of all, TC39 does not vote. And that's a really critical point. TC39 operates under consensus. Everyone agrees for something to go forward. There's no 60-40 tie. If anyone in the room is saying, I don't want this, it can't happen. Okay. Um, and that's actually how we get all of like the browser vendors and the engine implementers to agree to participate in this, right? Um, is by saying, we operate by consensus. Everyone has to agree or nothing happens. And so it kind of, in a way, doesn't matter how many delegates a company sends because it only takes one person to dissent anyways. Uh, does that make sense? It, it does. I'm, I'm kind of amazed that anything gets approved. <laughs> so here's the trick. I, I, I could go on and on and on about how I'm in love with consensus models. And I actually, you know, I talk about training people uh, at Microsoft about open source development methodologies. I also frequently train people on consensus models uh, and, and open standards. Uh, but an interesting thing about consensus models is that you would think that like nothing would ever get done and people would just be like, I don't agree. Go away. But that is my result, experience with people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the net result um, of a consensus model is that at the beginning, uh, that's what people do. But it turns out that in that particular model, um, probably everybody at the committee wants to get something done, right? Like I have my proposal about temporal, but ah, back room, smoky back room deals. Like no, I no. will agree with your temporal proposal. If you agree with my WebKit proposal, it's, it's not quite like that, but if you are running around saying, I don't agree with your thing, people are not super predisposed to just like, let yours go. Right. Like, like they're going to hold you to a higher level of scrutiny and, 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 you know, it's, it's easier to find a way to agree at the end of the day than to sit there and disagree all day. Um, because while other people's stuff doesn't get done, uh, when, when you disagree, your stuff doesn't get done when they disagree. So, you know, not, not the best choice to, to, to just be disagreeing all the time. <laughs> Uh, there's no backroom deals, truly. Like TC39 does not have backroom deals in that way. We don't do back trading like that. Uh, I think everybody really comes to the table with a genuine, good-hearted desire to move the programming language forward. Um, uh, but yeah, I think consensus really encourages people to be good community players. Because if you aren't a good community player, uh, you know, no one will be happy with you. <laughs> uh, and, and and it works great. Like you think it wouldn't work great, and the initial the initial bit of it is is difficult. It's difficult, and people do disagree a lot. But ultimately, what happens is that people actually get very very refined about their arguments. Instead of just saying I disagree because I don't like your crap, they start saying I disagree for this exact and specific reason. Can we work on this exact and specific reason? Um, and and it actually heightens the the intelligence of, of the dialogue quite a bit. Um, 
it, it has an interesting effect. So other than temporal, what are some other things that are, are rocking through the TC39 right now that you're excited about? Um, because temporal has a heavy dependency on it, big integers. Uh, I'm so glad that we are getting big integers in JavaScript. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, the standard library proposal that I was talking about, I think, is really, really exciting. I think that expanding the standard library is long overdue for JavaScript. There's a you know most programming languages just have much larger standard libraries, and coming to an agreement about what our standard library is going to be like, and and really opening opening that opportunity up uh, is something I'm extremely excited for. Um, Personal stuff, I'm a little excited about Michael Ficarra is uh, championing, championing a proposal called Protocols. And this is basically a way to get kind of interfaces in JavaScript, have a little understanding of like, this is an implementation of this contract. Uh, I think those are really just useful, generally. Um, private, private, uh, private fields on classes, uh, who doesn't want that? Uh, to actually be able to make something private. Um, is that enough? Did I run down enough that I'm interested in? Yeah, I mean, however many things that you're interested <laughs> in. Are, uh, are these things, what's your gut on these things? Are these things going to happen or are big we is gonna happen. a little shaky? Big, yeah. yeah, big into shipping in Chrome already. Uh, big into is going to happen. Um, I think standard library is going to happen. I think there's a big discussion and there's a lot of, of sort of coming to the table and having to hash out what it's going to mean for us. But I think uh, standard library is going to happen. Uh, we should have a whole show about standard library and what that looks like. Um, yeah. I mean, Michael Saboff is, is the champion on that. That's He's from Apple. Could definitely try to hook you up. <laughs> that would be um, awesome, yeah. <laughs> uh, so standard library is a big one. Um, uh, and I think we'll get done. Uh, private fields should get done. Protocols is earlier stage, so that may evolve quite a bit still. Where do you I don't stand on, on array flat? No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing it. We're not doing Ooh. it. We're not smush, doing it again. Smush, smush. We're not doing it again. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, I'll take this opportunity. Since it was, <laughs> She's answering. It was, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's uh, I, I'm gonna answer a little differently. You think I'll take this opportunity since it was it was brought up to call out that um, TC39 doesn't bear the developer ill will. Like we never are in a position where we're like, let's just do ridiculous things that upset developers. <laughs> uh, and I think that Smushgate was this example of really getting in a place where it was like geez, why are they so crazy? And 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 like, if you don't like what we're doing, we're on GitHub. Uh, we have an IRC channel. Um, tell us. But uh, it's so much easier to complain on Twitter, like Todd says. <laughs> you know, like, like we would love to hear your feedback. The committee has spent the last several years doing everything it can to create more channels for JavaScript developers to come in and talk and, and have ideas. And, um, and like, you know, we, we have a very genuine desire to hear from people who, who program in, in the JavaScript language about what they want to see. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think it's hard sometimes, sometimes the answer to developer concerns is sorry, but this is the way it has to be. Um, and that goes back to, usually that goes back to the whole don't break the web thing. Uh, the whole, you know, the uh, you have websites that were, were written 10 or 15 years ago, and it is not fair or reasonable for TC39 to say that, um, you know, too bad, you have to rewrite your code. That's just, it's not fair. And, and, and sometimes developers get the too bad, so sad out of that. Um, and just understand that like we have our own position and even if it isn't yours, like we are listening to you. We're doing everything we can to listen to you. I totally agree with that. Uh, I think that is the way you, you should be doing it. <laughs> if anything, my, my feedback, which, which doesn't actually go over so well whenever I've left it is I'd rather you just do nothing. <laughs> We're good for a while. Let's just not change it. We're well, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think, I think the crux of what you're digging out there, Todd is, is the, um, Get off the fact my that, 
That's, well, that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, we have, that, that we have added a lot of language features. You know, like the whole the whole ES6 or ES next or ES whatever you want to call it push was a huge evolution on on the language. And 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 it was stressful for developers. Like let me recognize the stress of developers who had to figure all that out. And now we all have these transpilers and these module loaders and and you know <laughs> we're living under the weight of the tooling from that. Um like uh I, I guess, you know, you are heard. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are heard and, and actually there was actually just last week when, when we were at the committee there was a a uh, Leo Balter uh, from the Q unit team did a nice presentation on if we accept every proposal for new syntax that we have in the pipeline right now, this is how ugly our code will be. Uh, and it was really pretty great. So I think we're definitely thinking about that. And, and, and we had a whole discussion about it. I am I am so glad. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't decided if I want to say this yet. I'm going to say it. Okay. In my mind... Uh, syntactic sugar is a bullshit reason to add something to the language. That's my, that's my little soapboxy thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not a popular opinion. Got it. <laughs> All right. Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So lately you've been working uh, when you're not doing TC39 stuff or moment stuff, you work for Microsoft. Yeah, how that, absolutely. How is, how is that going? How is, how is that different than, than working for, um, for the HR company before that or, or other co- uh, programming jobs? Um, I would definitely say that the transition from a, a tiny company to Microsoft has this element of culture shock that is, is very real. Like, when I got to Microsoft, um, it, it's so so with tiny companies, there's this thing you can do where you code more and more gets done. And when you're looking at an organization as large as Microsoft, or even just looking at the Azure platform, uh, we have these deep dependencies on other teams. We can't code the Azure platform by ourselves, right? And so what happens is that just as important as getting your code done is making sure that all of your partners are taking things in the direction that they need to take things and making sure that you come to a convergence point that's agreeable to all teams and on time. And because of that, some of the most important work that one does at Microsoft is having a strong understanding of other teams and where they're at and what they're trying to do and how your work relates. Um, and saying, well, I want to get this done, so I'm going to just work 60 hours this week and do, do a code binge and it'll be done. It doesn't actually play out in practice because unless your partner teams are done, unless your planning was in place in such a way that everyone converges on the right ideas, then the fact that you worked all that extra time doesn't necessarily catch the entire timeline of the whole company up. Um, and that's an adjustment to go from saying, well, I don't know, we need to get this done. I'm just going to like <laughs> rage cut away to saying, I don't know, we need to get this done. I am going to go find the other teams with a vested interest in this. I'm going to talk to them about what their concerns are. I'm going to partner with them on how we can do this together. If I can write no code and they just want to write the code and I integrate it, great. Life is good. Um, And that's a huge transition. Um, And that's what kind of drives us as Microsoft towards the whole thing I talked about, learn how the open source community operates. Learn how to build coding communities of thousands of developers because we need them here. Um, And that's something that I think as an organization we're getting stronger and stronger and stronger at over time. but it's, it's definitely an adjustment to realize that your success is not just going to be how much code you can crank out. It's going to be how well you can partner and plan with other teams. I feel like you read my Twitter this morning because like even 15 years into my career, it's hard getting over the early days of when you were like given a task or a ticket to fix something or create something and you had to track time for it. And you sort of get in the mindset early in your career that, uh, y- your worth is how much code you can crank out. And as you get more experience, that's not true. You yep. know, the, the, the 
stepping, being able to step back and see the big picture and realize that, oh, if I get through 20 code reviews today and I don't write a single line of code, that has a ton of value. So being, and that's something that I realized at, at Mozilla too. Um, if you're able to, that's what differentiates, in my opinion, sort of um, the junior engineer sometimes from a senior engineer or maybe even a staff engineer to a senior engineer is the ability to step back, recognize some of the bigger picture stuff and yep. not just be coding all day. Yep. 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 Uh I think there's there's an element of junior senior staff to it. There's also just an element of what your experience has been. If you have always been at small companies, you can be amazing at engineering at small companies, and that transition is going to to really hit you when you when you hit a big corporation. I think the reverse is true. When you're at a big corporation and suddenly small companies live or die by getting this out for this customer by the end of this week, I think both of those transitions are are pronounced. Um, and different. So, uh, you know, and, and one thing I've definitely learned over time is that I don't think either one is bad. Like uh, the small company had this really beautiful, you know, uh, pace to it, the briskness, the immediate feedback cycle with the customer. But I mean, you look at a platform like Azure and, and if you really step back, like in the day to day, you're worried about your thing. But if you really step back, and you look at how many people and how many different aspects of work that it takes. You know, Azure, it's not just about code. Like, I spend a lot of time thinking about, because uh, I'm in an, in an operational part of the organization, um, how is the process for um, RMAing hardware going lately? Uh, when you think about how many things like that had to come together to make Azure, you're like, man, this is cool. So, so they're just different different sides of the coin. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good time to to wrap it up. We're at just over an hour. So uh, let's go around and say, like, what some big takeaway we got out of today's conversation. Uh, David, how about you first? I learned more about dates than I ever thought I would, but that's a very good thing. But the, the main takeaway that I want to mention um, was from Maggie's origin story, because I, I sort of joked a minute ago that she read my Twitter and re seemed to repeat, like, exactly what I said. Her story is exactly like mine, and it's so important that I want to really point it out. I was at a small place in the Midwest. Um, I started writing a blog that wrote a lot about an open source thing, MooTools, that people were using. Suddenly, they asked me to join the team, and out of nowhere, you know, SitePen um, hires me, and then from there, Mozilla hires me. So if you want, if you don't ever think that you can't get to one of these big places, regardless of, of your um, situation, but more importantly, jumping into open source, even if it's just doing QA filing issues, even if it's documentation, or whether you feel up to coding or not, that is a tried and proven way to get to what you consider the big leagues. Um, so I like I loved hearing that story because it, it was exactly like mine. How about you, Todd? I loved the explanation of a civil date. <laughs> it, like I, I brought it up when we talked about it, but like I had never, I had never rationalized that that was a thing, but I immediately understood that problem. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that a date that's not a date in time, but it's still like a, a human date concept. That's, I think that's something that, that exists a lot in um yep. stuff that we write and uh and we probably solved it by just writing them as strings instead of any kind of rational date object before but i think that's a, a good thing for for us all to think about is when we're thinking about a date when we're storing a date displaying a date is it a utc date like an instant in time or is it just like a relative thing of that a human thought up of that's uh, yep. be on thursday yep <laughs> All right, Maggie, what about you? What was, what's your, what's your big takeaway from today? What, what, what is the point you want to leave us all with? Oh, the point I want to leave people with. Um, well, the open source, the open source can get you places point was very well placed. <laughs> um, I think, um, I think if there's another point I want to land, probably that, 
um, with a great coding community, you can do really great things. And sometimes we see that play out in open source. Sometimes we see that, like I said, working in Azure, where I'm working on building a great internal coding community, and that allows us to do bigger and better things. Um, I would say that would be the other thing to think awesome. about. Awesome. And any other projects that you want to plug or reference that, that didn't come up in today's conversation? Uh, projects that I want to plug or reference. Um, I already referenced JS Foundation. Thanks for their work. Uh, let's see. If you want to learn more about date and time, uh, my boyfriend, Matt, who I mentioned. Matt's my boyfriend now. Uh, funny thing. Matt from the MoMA <laughs> team. Uh, he has a, a Pluralsight course that like goes deep dive on all of this stuff. So if you do want to learn more, uh, that Pluralsight course is, is worth uh, checking out. And I guess the only thing I'll plug, since you've like given me opportunity to plug, is that I'm hiring a program manager to work on this uh, open source culture in Azure thing. So if anybody is interested in coming out here to Seattle and, and trying this out and you have a background in that sort of space, hit me up. <laughs> How would they hit you up? Um... Probably the easiest for now is Twitter. I'm I'm at Maggie Pint. Uh, you can find me there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Maggie, for coming on the show. We really awesome. appreciate it and all the stories you told. Yep. Uh, thank you, David. It's been a great show. I think. Thanks everybody for coming on or for watching us today. We'll be back next week. Uh, we I think we have a guest next week. Who's coming on the show? We do. We have my former colleague and manager, Luke Crouch, is coming on from Mozilla to talk about containers and privacy. Awesome. That's going to be a good show. We'll see you all next week. Take care. The Script and Style Show is recorded and produced by David Walsh and Todd Gardner. We'll see you next time on Script and Style.